listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. It is a holiday today, and it is Mother's Day. And I just want to say, if you are a mother here today that we are thankful for the sacrifice that you have made for your family. And uh, if you have a, if you have, have or had a godly mother, then today is a great day to, to thank the Lord for the blessing of a godly mother. I know that not everyone has the privilege and the blessing of being able to say that. Even if you're not, I want you to know that, uh, that, that your God, your Savior knows that and is uh, right ready to step in and fill that that may be a void in your life. And mothers, I want to encourage you to, uh, to, to remember that uh, while it is God that saves, we just want you to know that I don't think there's a more powerful catalyst to the faith of your children than yourself because of the nurturing opportunities that, uh, that God has built into you. So continue to be faithful. Continue to be that, that, uh, that, that pointer to the one who can not only uh, transform your children's lives, but those, that one who can uh, catapult them into his will for the future. So moms, keep up the good work. Thank you for, for what you have done, and, and we just pray that you'll continue to do that um, into the days to come. We've been studying the book of James, and today will be the last day that we'll be in James. We're going to move out of James from here forward. We're going to be in the book of Acts moving forward and into the summer. We're going to be looking at the things that transpired after the resurrection of Jesus. So that's not the end of the story, you realize, when Jesus rose from the dead. There's more to the story, and it's connected to you and me. In fact, it's out of that continued story that we get the book of James, because James was one of those that was present when the Lord was crucified and rose. And so we are a part of that story. We just want to get a look at as far as we can go in the book of Acts over the summer and see how God used those that were left behind after Christ ascended into heaven and how he wants to use us in the same fashion. So make sure that you, uh, you, you don't fall off just because we're finishing James doesn't mean we're done. We're going to jump into something else. We'll start that next week. As we looked at James over the past, wow, since February, I think what we've been seeing in this letter, if you will, I think we've been seeing James communicating to the body of believers who, yes, were Jewish, and we recognize that just by the context and the words of this letter, but he was writing to people just living ordinary lives. There were ordinary people living ordinary lives, but as followers of Jesus, as those who confess Jesus as Lord and Savior and King above all other gods and, and not the least to mention Caesar, these Christians were finding themselves in a varying fashion of difficulty. The difficulty that comes just in normal life, the, the pains and things that we, that we go through just as folks living in a fallen world, but also those things that they were having to endure as followers of Jesus. And I think what we have here in the book of James is a, is a, a, a an encouragement to Christians 
to face trials with, with the knowledge and the opportunities that God has given us. He says, I want you to face these things with joy. Trials, difficulties of varying kind, absolutely. Face them with joy. How can we face trials and difficulties with joy? He tells us because God is using all of those things that make us grumble. He's using those things if we'll allow him to build and strengthen our faith, to build endurance in our life as followers of Jesus. So face it, embrace it with joy as an opportunity that I have to suffer for Jesus. Absolutely. Not only should we face trials and uh, difficulties with joy, but we should face them with obedience. And he spends a, a great amount of time in this letter talking about ways that we are to interact with one another. And most of these ways go against how we naturally interact with one another. And we've seen through the majority of this book, this letter, that how we interact with one another is a choice that we must make. And James calls us to obedience, to live our life around and with one another in an obedient fashion so that we might together, I believe, face these trials and endure these difficulties together. He not only says to embrace them with joy and obedience, but also with patience. When we go through things, we expect and want God just to change it. But there are many times that God simply won't do that. But he never leaves us alone. He walks with us through these difficulties so that we might exercise patience and trust and the absolute confidence that we are on our way toward the promises that God has made and that these things are actually making a difference in our lives. And then lastly, we saw that we're to face these difficulties and trials of life as followers of Jesus through prayer. So through joy and obedience, patience and prayer, not the least of which that we come to him and we just simply tell him what's going on. We lean on him for strength. We ask him for direction. We ask him for wisdom and guidance with faith and confidence that he's going to give it to us because he's promised to do so. And then James concludes his letter with two verses, not like most of the epistles close out with final greetings, tell this one we said hello and that one and make sure that you, you talk to this and that and we'll see you soon. James doesn't do that. James is very abrupt and he's been abrupt through this whole letter and he just brings the, the letter to a close with a final, with a final instruction. And here's what he says, James chapter five, if you have your Bibles, verse number 19 and 20. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is James's final word. He's been very, I mean, it's almost been kind of choppy. I mean, he just sort of says it and then he moves along. I, I've got an uncle who, who says that, you know, sometimes when he's preaching, he's a pastor, he's preaching, he says that he tells his folks they can either chew, swallow, or choke. You know, I'm like, well, that's pretty much what James has done. He's just, you know, he goes from one thing to another. You can chew it up, you can choke on it, you can swallow it and do it. But he does that at the end as well. Now, after all that I've said, look, 
If you've got a brother or a sister who wanders off, I just need you to know whoever brings them back is saving them from a whole world of hurt. We get this, this search and rescue thing. I was thinking about illustrations toward this, and I love Pixar movies. I, in fact, I love all the, anime, the, the newly animated movies. But I love the Toy Story movies. Toy Story 1, Toy Story 2, Toy Story 3. They're all different, but you know what? They're all the same thing. They're all the same thing. Somebody gets lost, and it's up to the rest of the toys to go find them. And then sometimes, in the last one, all the toys got lost, and they had to help one another find their way back home. That's a a, a common thread of many stories that we love because there's this notion of one needing rescue and another going and finding them. As I was doing some reading I had a thought in my mind, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you the concluding statement. This is the conclusion of today's final talk in the book of James. The concluding statement is, leave no one behind. I thought, where did that come from? I knew that was probably a military phrase. So I started doing some reading on that. But I discovered that this came a lot. There's some scholars who believe that this idea started in the French and Indian War. The U.S. were working with the British and, and, and the Indians fighting against the French in that particular battle. And, and we're thinking that that's where this idea, leave no man behind, leave no one behind. And you know, that's a constant in our military forces today. If there's someone behind enemy lines, they will do everything they can to get them back that's what James is saying while we're doing life together and we're facing the onslaught of just normal stuff living in a sinful world and we face things that come only to those who are followers of Jesus we've been given instructions on how to face it and then the last thing he says is and don't leave anybody behind If anybody falls into the hands of the enemy, make sure you do everything possible to get them back. So we're going to see three words today, all ending in I-N-G. Wandering, pursuing, restoring. Wandering. My brothers, I think he's talking not about my brothers as as those of the, the Jewish uh, heritage, but rather my brothers in Christ. I think that's what he's saying. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, this wandering, it's just simply a, a word that talks about leaving one path to follow another. And I think about uh, J. R.R. Tolkien in one of his works says that all wanderers are not lost. In fact, yesterday afternoon, after I, after I concluded and had this all wrapped up, I went to Walmart, I was driving back home, I got behind a Jeep, and the tire cover said, all wanderers are not lost. And I thought, I'm sorry, sir, the scripture says these that wander need to be brought home. So while, while the idea of everyone who's wandering might not be lost, they fall into this category, they need help. 
They need someone because they've gotten off the path. This could be knowingly or unknowingly. I think about there's a, a, our kids have a friend and when he was younger, we would go somewhere and, and, and we would always say, you got to watch out for this one because he's a wanderer. You'd hardly ever want to go to the beach with him because next thing you know, he'd be halfway to, you know, somewhere else on the shoreline chasing a balloon or a ball. He was just wanderer. You know, it could be knowingly or unknowingly. I just, you know what? I turned around twice and I didn't know where I was at. And then there are some times where we knowingly wander. This idea of intentionally or unintentionally moving off of the path of what? Of truth. If any one of you, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. Now, I think James had at least... In the forefront of his mind, he had the the things in this letter. These things that I've been telling you about and instructing you on how to interact both with one another and through your faith with those things that you encounter. I think he had at least those things in mind. But I think James had even a broader idea. If anyone wanders from the faith from Christ, from Christ's words and begins following another path. There's a way that seems right unto man. It looks like a good path to follow, a shortcut. Any of you ever tried to take a shortcut and add it about an hour and a half to your trip? I've been there. I, was, I knew that was the way to go. And you know, if we just get off right here and then we end up in a totally different state. It looked like, it felt right, but I got off the way onto another. I departed from the way and I found myself lost or out of the way. If anyone departs from the truth, from the body, from the faith, from my responsibilities within the body, basically if anyone departs from the way of righteousness, if anyone wanders... We can wander from the truth in three ways. I've got a fourth, but I want to, there are three ways we can wander from the truth. We can wander into sin. You you think about, some of you are, are avid fishermen, and you know what you have on the end of your line is temptation. You call it a lure. You call it a rubber worm or bait, but it's really temptation. If you think about it, that's all it is. It's, it's temptation to the bass. You're trying to, I mean, and you bump it. You want to make it look like something appealing, knowing good and well what you're going to do with it as soon as they wrap their mouth around it. You're going to yank it, and it's going to tear the skin in their mouth, and they're going to cry, and their mother's going to be upset because they've been, no, go fishing. As long as you understand that's what you have, you, you're tempting the fish. Look, we can wander from the truth into sin. And we can find ourselves living in sin. How many have you been around who were part of the body? You were brothers and sisters. You were walking with Jesus together. But then all of a sudden you turn around and they're gone only to discover, wow, they're doing what? They're Where? They're, 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 I can't even, and next you realize, oh my goodness, and, and let's just be honest. How many of us have been the one who've wandered into sin? So let's don't, let, let's don't allow ourselves to put our, ourselves on a pedestal. The point is, is that we can be 
wanderers into sin. And it's not just action. Sometimes it's sinful attitudes. We can be in the same place with the same folks, but our mind and our attitude has just gone sinfully sour. We've wandered from the way of righteousness into sin. We can wander into idleness. I don't mean, I don't mean worshiping idols. I mean, we can wander into laziness where we just simply are comfortable with what we got and where we are in our maturity with Jesus. And you know what? We're just going to coast because things are good and, and I've got all my boxes checked and I'm not pressing on as a witness and a light for Christ. We can fall into idleness. We can wander into false doctrine. I mean, I've heard that, that for, for instance, the, uh, the, the highest number of, of, of Christians that are within the uh, Jehovah's Witness belief system comes from the Baptist faith. That's something that I've heard in the last couple of years. That doesn't surprise me. Because if we don't know what we believe, then we can be easily enticed into things that aren't true. They sound true. They look true. They use the same terms and lingo only to discover, oh, wait, this is not Christianity at all. But by that time, we're trapped. We've wandered into sin. We've wandered into idleness. We've wandered into false doctrine. Uh, number four, I had we can wander into questioning the faith. But I want to rescind that because everybody questions the faith. Everybody wonders whether or not what we believe is right or not. Even John the Baptist questioned his faith about Jesus. There's, there's something normal and healthy about questioning. If my questioning takes me too far off the path, then it's number four. If my questioning is while I'm on the path, then we need to give folks grace as they're wrestling just like we wrestle. Bottom line is people wander away. James says when they wander away, if, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, verse 19, and someone brings him back or her back this is the idea of when we see them wander we don't just watch them go we go after them i used to like the uh i used to like the the show dukes of hazard anybody watch dukes of hazard back in the 80s yes yes some of y'all are lying i know y'all watched it y'all don't want to raise your hand i i don't mind it watch the duke of hazard and inevitably every episode the sheriff of hazard county whose name was Roscoe, see, I knew all y'all watched that. Roscoe P. Coltrane would inevitably get to chasing some or all of the members of the Duke cousins and sometimes grandpa. And he would always radio in. This is Sheriff Roscoe P. Coltrane. I'm uh, chasing after the Duke. No, he wouldn't. What would he say? He'd say, I'm in hot pursuit. And then he'd, you know what he would do. Anyway. Loved Roscoe, but he was always what? I'm not just letting y'all know that I'm in hot pursuit. That's what James is talking about here. When a brother or sister wanders from the way, you know what we need to do? We need to get in hot pursuit. We need to go after them. Why? 
Because they are wandering away from truth. And when they wander away from truth, we're going to discover in a minute, there are consequences that are not going to be positive for them. When they wander away into sin, into idleness, into into false doctrine, we need to pursue them. We need to go after them. Most naturally, when folks wander from the truth, you know what we do? Two things. We gossip and we slander. We gossip talking about what they've done. Did you hear? And we slander. We add a motive to it. We, we, we fill in the blanks where we don't have the slander and gossip. Or there's a third one, we ignore. We just don't pay any attention at all. That's what's natural. James says if they wander away, you need to go get them. We have the responsibility to search and rescue those who wander from the truth. Galatians chapter number 6 Verse number one says this, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, wanders from the truth and is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him or her in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Paul says, if someone gets caught, wanders away and gets caught out of the way of righteousness, then you who are spiritual are to go and restore them. What does it mean to be spiritual? Not if you look the part and sound the part and are faking it. That's not what spirituality is talking about. It means you're walking with God. You're on the way. You haven't wandered off and you approach them in the right attitude. Well, what is the right attitude? Well, let's see what Jesus said. Matthew chapter seven, verses three, Three through five says this why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye he's wandered away into into a dangerous place and he says that's a speck that's a thing in their eye why do you see that in their eye but don't notice the log that is in your own eye what Jesus is saying is is if we're going to seek to restore we got to recognize that we got our own issues to deal with not that we're not supposed to go get them. It's just that we need to go get them with full understanding of the problems we wrestle with as well. He says, you see, don't see the log that's in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Can I tell you what the most common log in our eye in these situations is? It's pride. Pride. I think I've got things going on and it's working in my life and then my brother gets off the path And in my pride, I begin to think myself better than him or her. And then we go try to restore them. The problem is we got this big two by four in our own eye that's inhibiting our ability and capability of helping them. Jesus says before you go, oh no, I want you to go help them get the speck out of their eye. It's dangerous to them. It's harmful for them. But I want you to address that that's in your own life. And most often that is pride. Most often that is, God, I'm going to go and do this, but I, I need your help. 
I need your guidance and I need you to prepare me to help them. Colossians chapter four, verse number six says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Some things you might wanna write down, there's six of them. How do we effectively pursue the one who has wandered? It's in your mind right now. Is it possible that you know somebody right now who was a part of the faith, but at some point has wandered from the truth? Just give it a second. Who do you know? You've got a responsibility to pursue them. You've got a responsibility to seek their good. How are we going to do it? Three, uh, six things to think about. Number one, restoration has got to be the goal. Restoring them has got to be the goal. Scolding them does not work and it's inappropriate. Driving them and, and, and blasting them, that doesn't work. And that's not what we've been called to do. Restore them. Look, let's just get real. How many folks have wandered into things that we've said, well, they'll never come back. Or we look at it and we think, I ain't going after them. They've crossed a line that they can't recover from. I want you to show me that in the text. I want you to show me where God says, oh, look, if they've crossed that line, don't go. Uh-uh. No, no, no. He's faithful and just to forgive us our cleanse, uh, sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Restorate. Can God restore them? Yes, he can. Restoration's got to be the goal. Number two, love has to be the motivation. My love for them has to be what's driving this. I want, to rest, I want them to be restored and I love them. I, I'm not excited about what they've done or what they're living in, but I want them to be restored. And I love them enough to go after them in hot pursuit. Number three, humility must overshadow the deliverance and the delivery of the one who is going. Humility. You don't walk in there with yourself all pressed and put together. No, you walk in. A lot of times I'll, I'll talk to the kids about how to uh, approach when they're apologizing for something. And I use that phrase, hat in hand. You know, back in the days when the men would wear hats and one of the ways that they would, they would come into the banker and they would need something, they would take their hat off and they would hold it in front of them. They just, Mr. Banker, I just really, hat in hand with a humble attitude, not kicking in, bowed out and all jacked up. No, humility. Restoration's got to be the goal. Love has to be the motivation. Humility has to govern me and my, and my, my delivery of these words. Grace needs to overshadow the very words that I say and how I respond to their response. Do you know sometimes when you go seeking to restore someone, they're going to bite you. You ever tried to help a dog or an animal that was in danger and what do they do? They back themselves in a corner. They're going to hurt themselves if you don't help them. But what do they do? You're coming at them and they're lashing at you. If you ever tried to res uh, rescue a drowning swimmer, I hear that they'll fight the one who's trying to rescue them. 
You got to have grace that is driving your words and your actions and your responses because it's not you they're responding to. It's the God who saved them that they're responding. You're just the representative. So you exercise that grace that he exercises. Restoration, love, humility, uh, grace, truth, number five. Truth has to be there without reservation. You, you got to tell them the truth. Listen, I, I know you don't feel this, and I know you may feel like this is okay, but look, the truth says that that's not okay. And I know you may be hurt, and I know you may wish that you hadn't or you had. Look, the truth says truth has to be when you go to restore that person you've got to bring truth because that's the path they've wandered away from they've not wandered from you they've not wandered from your tradition they've wandered from truth and you got to bring them the truth if they're going to hear the truth and then lastly you got to exercise patience you got to exercise patience no matter how they respond because chances are great you're not going to like how they respond Patience, restoration, love, humility, grace, truth, patience. But when we do this, when we go after them in hot pursuit, we have the opportunity to be a part of their restoration. He goes on in verse number 20. He says, let him or her, let him or her know that whoever brings back a sinner from his or her wandering. Our brother and our sister has wandered away and we see it and we know it. And what do we do? We go after them prayerfully, humbly, uh, dressing the two by four in our eyes so that we can go help them, letting restoration motivate and love and humility and grace. And we go and we bring truth to them and they respond. How do they respond? With repentance, not to you. It's not you they've transgressed, it's the truth. And when they, when they repent and they come back, James says, I just want you to know something. This is so worthwhile. When you bring them back, here's what happens. You are saving his or her soul from death. Now that sounds like that you are saving them from eternal death. I don't think that's what James is talking about. Let's go back to James chapter 1 and just for a second look at verse number 14 and 15. When he was talking about temptation and he was talking to brothers, here's what he says. But each person, brothers, each person is tempted with evil. Oh, I'm sorry. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to what, class? Sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth what, class? Death. Now look, you say, not all sin results in death. Maybe not physically. But I can tell you about one who was a man after God's own heart, who got off the way, he wandered from the way of truth. When he should have been out with the army, he was at home on his rooftop sunbathing and got himself in trouble with a married woman. 
This man, David, experienced because of his sin, death in his own body. He talks about it in Psalm chapter 32 and Psalm 51. In Psalm 32, verse number three and four, he says, when I kept silent, he's talking about when I had sinned and I was trying to hide it and I was just trying to go on like everything was okay. My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. David smiling, trying to do life as normal, but what was happening inside of him? He was dying inside. There was death in his bones. For day and night, your hand, talking about God, was heavy on me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. David was saying, when I was in my sin, when I was living in my wandering, man, I was dying on the inside. This sin was absolutely destroying me. You've heard it said that when we get upset with others, if we don't let those forgiveness things come about, we can become bitter in ourselves. You ever been around somebody who's bitter? They're dying from the inside. They're mad at somebody else or at something else, but what they're doing is destroying themselves from the inside. James says, if you go to them, you will save them from death. In Psalm 51, verse 7 through 12, David said, what we need to say when we find ourselves in these situations, God purge me with hyssop. Psalm 51, 7, and I shall be clean, wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness because I can't hear them anymore. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart. Oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. David shows us what it looks like when we wander away from truth. We begin to die and death surrounds us and there's the smell of death around us. You know, David didn't come back from his wandering on his own. God prepared, you can look it up in 2 Samuel chapter number 12, God prepared one of his prophets. Anybody remember what his name was? Nathan, who knocked on David's door and sinful, dying on the inside, David opened the door. Well, hey, Nathan, how are you today? I'm doing great, your majesty. I've got a story for you. And through that story, Nathan was in hot pursuit on the wandering king and told him his sin, showed him with truth. His wandering. And thankfully, Psalm 32 and, 52, 32 and 51 show us the responsive, repentant heart of the one who wandered. He said, not only will you restore him, uh, keep him, save his soul from death, you'll also cover a multitude of sins. 
What does this mean? Covering a multitude of sins. I think what he's talking about is when we wander from truth and we find ourselves in sin, it doesn't stop there. Sin then begins to multiply and compound. I'll just give you a for instance. I've had several of I've had several friends and, and acquaintances and and you know there there have been those that that I have known been real close to that have gotten out of the body they've gotten out of church they've disconnected themselves from the body and you know what they tell me they say you know Kevin it it really I didn't intend to get away from church for the last ten years I just started missing occasionally. And then it got occasionally more and occasionally more and occasionally more. Men who click on the wrong Google site and it pops up images that they know they ought not be seeing. If that's left alone, it will compound into things they never intend. It works the same way as not just men's women as well. We, we don't intend to become that one who has destroyed the hearts of all of the folks around us, but it just started out with that one story that we shouldn't have been telling, and that can go either way. It's compounded. James says, if you can go to them and present truth to them and they repent and return, not only have you saved them from the death that is living in their life, but you absolutely keep them from sins by covering them over. Bringing them back covers over all kinds of sin that they were involved in and probably would have been involved with. Wandering, pursuing, restoring. Here's the thing. Leave no one behind. Leave no one behind. That's your responsibility and mine. Leave no one behind. Maybe it is that you're wandering today and you wandered up in church and you're wishing, man, I wish I hadn't come today. Look, if you're wandering, take this as truth being presented to you. You can come home. There's room at the table. There's nothing that you'll bring to the table that God will say, yeah, I'd love to help you, but that's bigger than what I was intending to forgive today. No, you bring all your mess to the table with a repentant, sorrowful heart as a follower of Jesus, and he'll clean you and use you into the future. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, that's the only way to life is through repentance and allowing God to be who he is in belief of the, of the payment that he's made for you. But it's our responsibility to leave no one behind. Say that with me. Leave no one behind. You've got somebody in your life that has wandered from the truth and you need to bring them back if you can. But here's some things that I want you to hear. There's just some statements and I'm going to read them. These are just some thoughts that I have. Number one, leaving no one behind is everyone's job, not just the pastors and the leaders. You know what? When our body 
falls away, wanders away. They expect to hear from me. They're waiting on the call. They're waiting on me to show up. They're prepared for that because they expect me to do that. In their mind, it's my job to take care of the sheep. It's you who will bring them back. It's their brothers and sisters who they're arm in arm, shoulder in shoulder, doing life together. It's you motivated by love and restoration and humility and grace and patience. That's what's going to bring them back. They expect me to come. They're preparing for me to come. And they're going to say what I want to hear. But when you go, you're doing what God's commanded us to. Number two. The Holy Spirit, God's word, and prayer are essential before you go. Don't you go not right in your own heart. And don't you go without the truth. Don't you dare go without spending time in prayer. Chances are great you'll be tempted to wander yourself. God's word, prayer, the Holy Spirit, essential. Number three. These are hard conversations, and this is a hard, capital H-A-R-D process. This is hard. You won't want to do it. It's why you haven't done it already, because it's just too hard. No, no, I just can't. It's going to be hard. But God has called us to represent him by going in hot pursuit to restore and rescue Number three, it's extra hard when it's a family member or a spouse. When this is a family member or a spouse, it's really hard. But I don't find a footnote that says that we're not to go. It'll be hard and it'll be difficult. And, and here's another thing. Don't leave it up to their spouse to be the one who goes. They're going to go. You go too. Restoration does not nullify consequences, number five. This is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. God's forgiveness comes instantly with repentance. That slate is clean before him, but that doesn't nullify consequences. Sometimes when we wander, we make a mess. That mess has to be addressed. But going to restore is not just to go and restore them spiritually, but it's to walk with them practically through the consequences with them, with restoration, love, humility, grace, and patience, guiding and governing. Number six, Scripture never, ever, ever promotes shunning, shaming, or excommunication. You go, wait a minute, I thought there were places that the Scripture said that we were to, to remove it. yes. There are times when they might need to be removed from leadership and we might not need to consider them as qualified for certain areas of service. But God never says, put them out and lock the door. Never, ever, ever. Removing them, shaming them or shunning them. Let that never be our practice under these conditions. Number seven. When you go to somebody, be careful that you don't condone what they're doing in your efforts not to judge. 
When we go to someone, we go, well, I'm not trying to, ju-. listen, I'm not, you're using grace and humility. I'm not trying to judge you. Be careful you don't just go and repair the relationship and by default condone their actions because truth tells us what's okay and not okay. We don't judge because we're not the judge, but we do communicate truth. Be careful you don't unintentionally condone what they're doing in an effort not to judge. Number eight. Some kind of relationship with the wanderer is helpful. Now, if you don't know the person, it's not going to be real helpful for you to go and try to bring them back, although it's not impossible. A letter written to someone that you might not know personally with love and encouragement might be helpful, but a relationship is very helpful. And I'm going to say community is essential. When we're living in community together, we're already doing life. That's why life groups are so important. Because we begin doing life together. And then when one of ours begins to wander, we've got folks that we know intimately that can go and bring them home. Number nine. Angry outburst over someone's wandering does not count as pursuit. You ever been mad at somebody because they wandered away from truth and you just let them have it? Of course not. You would never do that. And you would never do it on Facebook publicly. Anyway, that doesn't count. In fact, that's harmful. And that doesn't communicate love and humility and a desire to restore. Number 10, not giving up does not mean bugging people. Restoring them is not about bugging them, but it is about being there. It's about not cutting them off and being ready to receive them when they return. And then number 11, you can't make a wanderer return. You can't make a wanderer return, but you can try. And that's been our call. So brothers, let's face trials with joy and obedience, patience and prayer. Let's do it together. And when one of us wanders, let's go get them. We can't make them come back. But with humility and love, grace and restoration as our governing truths, we can sure try. And when they return, we're going to rejoice. And we're going to walk with them because we're all in the same boat. Agreed? Let's stand together. Maybe you're here today and you go, wow, I'd like to be a part of a body that loves one another like that. Well, that's the very thing Jesus died and rose again to create, a group of Jesus followers who would love one another that way. And if you don't know Jesus, today's the day by faith alone. God, I know I'm a sinner. Man, I know I deserve to be separated and and fall under your wrath, but I believe Jesus took that for me, paid my price, and I, I believe I want to be your child. I want to be a follower of your son, God the Son, the risen one who's returning. You've never trusted Jesus. Today would be a great day to do it. If you're a wanderer, today would be a great day to return by repentance. And if you know somebody who's out there, well, it's your job. 
Let's get to work. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the opportunity to be together as a family. We look forward to what's in store. We look forward to those that you're going to uh, touch and, uh, and, uh, and bring back home by the obedience of your people. So I look forward to, to hearing about those that they have gone after and that they've seen to return because of your activity, your gracious activity in their life. We look forward to that. God, we ask that you'll use us this week the things we do and the things we say that we might reflect Jesus and that folks might be drawn to him as a result of their interaction with us. And God, we thank you so much for the mothers today. We thank you for their calling and their unique opportunity that you have provided for them to bless and train and to help and to lead. And God, the many things that they do in the life of the home and, and in the work of the ministry, God, we just ask that you will bless them. For their effort, give them courage to carry on as we wait on the return of your son, who we wait patiently but confidently. For it's in his name we pray. And everybody said, amen.